Welcome to the More Than Medicine podcast with your host, Jordan Stauffer, and me, Alex Shin. We are providing a platform for healthcare workers to share their journey into the field of medicine. Our mission is to inspire current and future healthcare workers through similar narratives. Committed to providing a positive voice for those who are working long hours in the hospital, studying with their head down in the library, or even those who have completed a long career in medicine. Whether you're taking a long road trip, working out in the gym, or taking a study break, we're so glad that you've taken some time out of your day to join us here today. Jordan is feeling under the weather, so I will be doing the podcast solo today. I have the pleasure of interviewing Camille Jolebois. Camille is a registered nurse and health coach currently working at Premier Integrative Health in North Kansas City. She has over seven years of experience. She grew up performing on stage, and you'll find that her positive energy is contagious. Her journey into medicine started with a personal story. Three days after her 18th birthday, she felt ill and ended up in the intensive care unit with acute renal failure. She will share the entirety of the story here today on the podcast. Her interests outside of medicine involve personal improvement, which leads to her passion in medicine of empowering patients to take control of chronic disease, including type 2 diabetes, irritable bowel syndrome, and many more. I am so glad to have Camille on the podcast today and cannot sh- wait to share her story with you. I think I just started the recording. Nice. Well, we I have Camille Jolebois on the podcast today. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Did I, uh, I just want to say, I thought it was video. So I did shower. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, blow dried my hair. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you are dressed to the tens with the black tee. Absolutely. The glasses on gold necklace, gold necklace. I mean, just like a chair. I brushed my teeth. I brushed my teeth midday. Wow. Midday. Impressive. Impressive. (laughs) Do you, do you floss three times a day? Not three times a day, but I do floss. I've I've taken up the practice of flossing, but I will say it's only once a day, mainly at night. Yeah. Mainly at night. Yeah. And but I, I will do the water pick occasionally. Haley's more religious about it than I am, but I'll, you know, I'll throw the water pick in here and there. Yeah. Change it up a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, I've never done water, the water pick before. I don't have one. Do you like it? Is it yeah. worth it? Oh yeah. Yeah. You can get it online for like 30 bucks and, and you're in, you're good to go. <laughs> you're, you're part of the water picking club. <laughs> you are, you are. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I floss every night, but if I eat something that gets stuck in my teeth, I will pause. I will pause my day and go to the bathroom and floss. 
That's because that's I can't stand it. I cannot stand the feeling like popcorn. I almost don't even eat popcorn anymore because I hate how it gets stuck in my teeth. Yeah, absolutely. And that, but, but that's a good thing because that's, that's essentially how you get a cavity, right? You have some foreign body in there and it continues to collect bacteria and that pe- bacteria doesn't really get cleared out of your mouth. Right. Thus leading to more bacteria, tooth decay, breakdown, and bad breath. I, I actually don't know if you're going to get a, a cavity or not. I'm not a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Is there um, any any fine fine print on this uh, podcast about recommendations? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. This is uh, just for fun. All for fun. <laughs> Don't take any of my recommendations. <laughs> I, uh, no, I just went to the dentist actually in Kansas City and um, she was like, Are, do you drink coffee? And I was like, hmm, I do. Actually, I hadn't been to the dentist in <clears throat> like seven years probably. Oh my goodness. It it was a long time. and uh, And she was like, I said, yeah, I'm sure you can probably tell. She's like, yeah, I can tell. And I was like, well, you have any tips about drinking coffee and teeth? And she's like, yeah, drink it in less than an hour and then rinse with water. And if you can rinse with water in between sips, that would be even better. I was like, whoa, (laughs) sorry, but that is some, I takes me like I drink on my coffee for like four hours. I I drink so slow. Yeah, I'm a slow coffee drinker. uh... That's an interesting thing. Uh, We can, you know, might as well just dive right into it. But that's the healthcare profession sometimes recommends the best way to live or to practice life, if you would. But it's not always the most practical. Yeah. Yeah. It rent. Yes. Changing. I mean, that just felt like. I would have to change my, well, first of all, coffee, if I drink coffee too fast, I do get very jittery. Like I actually can get a headache sometimes from coffee instead of, you know, people are like, oh, I get caffeine headaches. So I drink caffeine to take away my caffeine headache. <laughs> I have like the opposite effect. I, uh, I will get a headache if I drink caffeine too fast. Um, and I do drink it black because I fast in the morning till 12, but, um, sometimes I'll add creamer to it. If I'm like being a little lax about my fasting and that fat slows down the absorption of the caffeine into your system. So it's a lot better, but yeah, like drinking a sip of coffee and then chasing it down with water and then drinking it in less than an hour. If you can, it's like, what's, where's the experience anymore? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know where to start there. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm reading this book right now. It's called um, Own, the, Own the Day, Own Your Life by uh, Aubrey Marcus. Are you familiar? I wasn't familiar with Aubrey Marcus. I, honestly, yeah. I just have a long list of books to read that people over time have recommended. So I never know like where it came from. It's just on my list. So, And it's all about um, habit hacking basically. And like, uh, you know, it's all about creating the most optimal life for you, you know, tailored to you and what are habits that you can add into your daily routine to be the most efficient, to have the most productivity. And I just felt like it was a good book to read because January 1st is just, it's just it is around, around the corner. The corner. <laughs> and and I always be 
Yeah. January 1st is going to be the launch of, of this podcast too. So. Well, that is, that is perfect. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, I do recommend this book. It is a great, it is a great book. What Aubrey Marcus. Called again? Um, own the day, own your life by Aubrey Marcus. Um, he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast a few times, but <clears throat> I just recently listened to the episodes and I, they're kind of like, I was hoping he would talk about the book and maybe in one, there's like three or four episodes with him. So maybe they do in one of those episodes, but the ones I happened to catch were mostly about like animal habits, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, on Joe Rogan and like mushrooms. So nice. <laughs> nice. Did um, Aubrey talk about a morning routine? Yes. Yeah. Also, Aubrey is a man, by the way. Yes. Aubrey. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know many. Actually, I think he's the only man that I know named Aubrey. It's yeah, his middle it's name. Aubrey and Audrey. Audrey. Yes. Would be the, uh, I guess you could, it could be anyone. It could name, go, it could I, be. I've never yeah, heard of an yeah. Aubrey. Interesting. Aubrey. Yeah. So it is a, it is a male. Um. So yeah, he talks about a mor- morning routine. This is his morning routine. He, um, He wakes up and immediately drinks like 12 to 20 ounces of water because he said that you can lose like 1% of water weight through the night just while you're sleeping due to dryness in the air. So he's like, don't start in a deficit. Like you're already starting in a deficit when you wake up. So like immediately drink water to get hydration started. So then because most people pour coffee into their bodies. Well, he's like people shower put water on their skin and then they drink coffee and they might wash their hands and they might flush the toilet, but they never just put just water into their mouth first thing in the morning. <laughs> I was like, oh, and you brush your teeth with water, but you don't swallow it. You don't swallow, you're like, right. Yeah. He went through all these like different things about how we just, we are around water, but then we don't drink it. And so he's like, yeah, just drink the freaking water. 12 to 20 ounces start out. Also, he has a like a he calls it his mineral cocktail. He puts some electrolytes into the water. So he starts his day with a mineral cocktail. Um, And then he does like a few yoga poses and like a yoga flow that he just has memorized to get the day started. Then he goes and does a um, I don't remember if it's contrast shower or if it's just cold, a cold shower, but he definitely does three minutes cold water and he does Wim Hof's deep breathing for 30 breaths and then hold it and then three minutes cold shower and then more Wim Hof's deep breathing during that cold shower. So I have been trying to do this routine. <laughs> the cold shower is getting me. I, I want to do hydro, like I want to do hydrotherapy so bad and do contrast hydrotherapy, hot, cold, hot, cold. I don't know how you do it, Alexander. <laughs> I mean, it is impressive. It really is impressive. Yeah, the tub, the tub is there. You just you get in and you let your sympathetic nervous system calm down because whenever you get in a cold body of water, everything constricts. And there's a message that gets sent to the brain that tells you to get out of there as fast as possible. So what what that does is it floods it floods your body with epinephrine and essentially supercharges your 
blood pressure, your muscles. It activates everything so that you can jump out of that situation. And what you have to consciously do is you have to consciously repress that, mm-hmm. that feeling. And if you can get control of that, what I've noticed is you can control that specific surge of energy that happens during a stressful situation, like when you're at work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you come into a stressful encounter, you're able to repress that surge, you know, that that feeling you get in your chest where, whoa, there's a lot of stress coming on. And, and that's, I think that's that surge of epinephrine that gets released into your bloodstream. Yeah, that's exactly what he talked about. He said, he said he did a whole section on also it's funny because you you said uh the tub is there and you just you do it you just get in he ha- every chapter he has a section called just do it like something like that Sponsored by nike <laughs> yeah and it's just like you just do the dang thing basically and um he uh yeah he talks about how you can drink coffee yes but there are more I mean, and he even is a, he is a, he thinks that coffee is healthy for you to a certain extent, as long as you're using it in the proper way and not heavily relying on it. He doesn't think you should have to rely on a substance. Um, But he was like, I start my day with that cold shower. I don't need a cup of coffee because I get the adrenaline rush and like that focus from my cold shower instead, because just like you said, um, Epi and Nor Epi, I think. Um, are released in that moment. So, um, so I tried this uh, when I was listening to the podcast. I was driving, and it was like twenty degrees outside. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna roll down the windows all four, <laughs> and <laughs> and do the deep breathing. And I tell you what, it gave me a total rush. It Absolutely. is like, it is like it makes you feel so good, and it's not comfortable. It is, I would not say it is comfortable, Um, but afterwards you feel so alert and focus, like you have good focus. So yeah, I am, I'm trying to do it in the morning because I think, and I have not nearly, I have not needed um, coffee in the morning. I actually, um, I've cut, I mean, I still drink it sometimes, but I don't feel like I, I need it every morning. Like I, I have recently. So there's a good morning routine that I've been doing. My friend that I met in residency, Hal Fung, and Kate Hill, his SO, significant other. Actually, they're engaged now, so his fiance. They turned me on to the Miracle Morning. And essentially what the Miracle Morning is, is a morning routine. The creator is named Hal Eldrin, I think. I know his first name's Hal. I don't know what his last name is. I think it's Eldrin. But he uses this mnemonic, and the mnemonic is called Sabres. So it's an hour-long routine, and you go through these six stages of, of Sabres. So the, the S stands, and you can do it in any order you want. You don't have to do it necessarily in the Sabres mnemonic. And I do it. I'll I'll tell you which order I do it in. But the S stands for silence. The A stands for affirmations. 
The V stands for visualizations. E stands for exercise. R stands for reading. And then the final E, uh, the final S stands for scribbling or journaling, if you would. So essentially what I'll do is when I wake up in the morning, I try and wake up an hour before I have to get ready to go to work. And I'll, I'll go through the routine. And I normally start off with journaling. And the way they, that they journal is you write down three things that you're grateful for. And then you write down the three things that you really want to get done that day. So the three most important things. You might have a checklist of 10 to 20 things, but the three most important things are the things that you write down. And then after that, I go straight into reading. And then you read, I read for like 20 minutes. So the journaling takes maybe five. I read for 20 minutes. Then I visualize for maybe one or two minutes. And then I like to go into like a 10 or 15 yoga session, like to do yoga with Adrian. It's fantastic in the morning. Highly yeah. recommend. <laughs> yeah, and that's my exercise. And then I'll, I'll normally, um, well, before exercise, I also do affirmations. And, and it's really important to kind of, affirm like who you are and and he goes through all of the affirmations that that are he has like example affirmations on his app the miracle morning app and then i'll go upstairs and meditate for five minutes and then i will be absolutely jacked and ready to go for my day so in a lot of people roll out of bed, you know, five minutes before they have to go to work, you know, they roll out of bed, they brush their teeth. They're like, oh man, I I got another day in work. And what I've realized by doing this routine, you essentially create this emotional buffer. And if you've ever worked with someone who it only takes one negative thing to, you know, blow their or to pop their volcano off, you know, and they erupt right. into, into this, uh, a frenzy. Yeah. A, a morning routine like that, really what it does is it just increases the amount of negative things that need to happen to you before you flow over, really. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that I... You know, when I'm going throughout my day, I real nothing really happens. Like I, I just go throughout my day. You know, these these waves kind of hit you where you're you're doing really good, and then you come into a difficult encounter, and you're able to remain calm. You don't you don't erupt uh, in a violent rage or anything. You really are able to stabilize your emotions. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. I love. So it's called Savers or Saver. Savers. Yeah. Miracle Morning Savers. is the book. It's Miracle like a, morning. it's a hundred page. You'd read it in yeah, a couple hours, maybe yeah. five hours. It'd be easy. My coworker, um, Trisha, she's a health coach. She's, I think that's on my list to read that. And I think she recommended it. Um, nice. I, well, uh, I just love, I, well, I just was going to say, I love that it's all mindset. Oh, Pretty much that, that whole thing is mindset. And if you already have the physical, the exercise down, and you're going to get that in in the day, starting your day with mindset makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, 
gratitude journaling. I started gratitude journaling this year. Um, I teach on gratitude journaling, actually, but I'd never been super consistent about it. And um, I read the book Magic, The Secret of Magic. I don't even remember who it's by, but it was a life changing, truly. Um, And you do it. So you already have experienced how amazing because gratefulness makes you notice the small things in life instead of just um, sweeping over them, you know, not even noticing them, the things that, and just like you said, those waves that hit you, they feel lessened. Their blow feels a lot less because you have a new posture. Your heart posture is bent towards like openness and gratefulness. And you, um, it makes you feel like you have, um, this is a poor way to put it, but it does make you feel like you have good luck because you notice the small good things that happen through your day to you, you know, as simple as like you hit all the green lights on the street and you just go, wow, man, that was so nice. What a good morning, you know? (laughs) And then on a, and then when one negative thing happens, you don't crumble because you feel like a hundred good things have already happened to you because you start noticing those small things. Um, So man, that's so good. Maya, I've been doing I've been, I have incorporated the, like the mineral cocktail into my morning, but I like immediately get into the car. I've been going to the gym at, whoo, it's been early. I've been getting to the gym like 520 or 530 and doing since I've been kind of sick this last year, really struggling with health issues. Um, I've kind of given myself a lot more leeway to do classes, to just say, you know, I'm not feeling like going and building a routine in the gym, which is normally what I do for strength training. So I'm just showing up. I'm just showing up, which is half of it and letting someone else lead a class. I've been doing like their yoga and their body flow, which is Tai Chi yoga and um, Pilates and doing a body pump and uh, this hit class. It's like a Tabata hit class. and. It's been kicking my butt Uh, and then doing the steam room and meditating in the steam room. But I need I love that you said that because I really need to work in. I probably should do my gratitude journal earlier in the day to do more mindset because I do a lot of physical things in the morning to prepare my day. But doing more um, mindset like visualization, I don't do that super often. Or like, I mean, I I don't do that at all. I'm sure in my day, like I daydream and like think about the things I want in my life and what that looks like. But that's just like, you know, because I'm daydreaming. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah, it's it's, it's part of it. It really is. But um, well, we have chatted a lot, but I don't think we have fully talked about your background and, and everything. So two questions. How do you pronounce your last name? And uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, Jolibois. Is it actually it, pronounced with that French accent? <laughs> or? Yeah, you can't. You could say uh, Jolibois, I guess. Jolibois. Jolibois. Okay. okay. Um, it is Cajun French. Nice. I think since his family's from Louisiana. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it means beautiful Jolie beautiful forest or something jacob's gonna be like that's not correct but <laughs> he has told me before i can't remember i should remember it's my last name we'll go with oh. Camille beautiful forest from now on <laughs> Camille beautiful forest 
Um, and I grew up, I was born and raised in Kansas City. How many, how many siblings do you have? I have two siblings. Um, I have a sister who's the oldest and then my brother who's the middle child and I am the youngest. The baby. The baby. The baby. Would you say that you were spoiled growing up? I was definitely treated differently. (laughs) (laughs) Treated differently. That is hilarious. I uh, am a middle child, so we will keep it at treated differently. (laughs) I think parents, I think parents learn better parenting techniques like as they get gain more experience so i was uh i was not in the middle of their experimentation <laughs> they, they had the fine tuned by the time that you uh yeah. you rolled out yeah for sure did you well to, to piggyback on that what was family life like when you were growing up you know were you guys constantly on the move were you able to cherish the 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 small moments or or was it kind of a cloud? Yeah. Um, our life was, I would say we had a pretty slow paced life, which I know is so funny because you had a really fast paced life. Your mom woke you up so early in the morning. Very fast paced. My mom leaned. I think she leaned into a lot of creativity. She homeschooled my sister all 12 grades. Um, she homeschooled my brother until ninth grade. And then he went to private school, which was more like a college. You went three days a week and then you were homeschooled on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then she homeschooled me until sixth grade. And then I went to the same school as my brother. Um, we, uh, yeah, I think she leaned into a lot of creativity. So it was a lot of outdoor playing barefoot trees. We had lots of different weird animals like chickens and um, Degus, which look like kangaroo rats. They're really weird and they're, they can be vicious. I had so many band-aids on my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, guinea pigs and, you know, hermit crabs and, um, squirrels. That was another weird one. We went, my brother and I climbed, cause what do you do when you're homeschooled? You climb into a tree and steal baby squirrels out of nests and then of raise course, them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And, and that you know was Colin, science class. <laughs> yeah, if you know Colin, that's that's right up his alley. That's hilarious that you say that. Yeah, and yeah, and my yeah. No, go ahead. I have noticed we we have a pretty good community here in Columbia outside of the of the residency program, and a couple of uh, my good friends actually were homeschooled too. And what I've noticed is they have this pep in their step, this upbeat nature about them, very similar to, to your nature. And, I, and I'm, I'm interested to see, do you think being homeschooled may have influenced that a, a little bit? Um, hmm. versus, think- versus getting, getting, because I feel like if if you're home, I was not homeschooled, and I feel like if you are homeschooled, you are more free to express yourself instead of being thrown into a public or a private school where you have to constantly manage your own impressions. And mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, at, yeah. a young, at a young age, you're you're being socialized, but it's like rapid fire 
socialization. So I wonder, I wonder if that limits people's creativity or even brings a little bit of negativity in their, in their upbringing. So when you say pep in your step, do you mean, are they positive people or are they confident, independent people? Very positive people. Very, very positive people. people. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, Oh, I would say that probably depends on your household. Of course, like even if you were homeschooled, but you had like a crummy family dynamic, then you probably wouldn't have that pep in your step. But we had, um, I would say a very open, positive family. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom. So she did everything with us and she dedicated her life to raising us. Um, and then my dad worked as a teacher. So he had off every summer with us. So we would, um, you know, we'd get to hang out with my dad pretty much all summer, which was awesome. Maybe not as awesome for him since he had kids also (laughs) (laughs) partial stay at home dad. Um, but (laughs) yeah. Um, So I think that that my mom definitely tried to put, you know, instill in us positivity and giving people the benefit of the doubt and um, also just like the hard work, like uh, not giving up. Failure is not like failing is just part of the journey and to learn, you know, and like you may fail 10 times to to only win one or, you know, to finally have a success. So, um, yeah, I think that I don't think it's homeschooling. I think it's the environment that you create. I think homeschooling does create a lot more independence, curiosity. And, um, I think that that's what it contributes to is that normally you, you come out with some, and like you were saying, uh, when you're put into these social settings, that really puts pressure on you to be a certain way. But when you're home with your siblings and you're in that comfort, you're kind of free to be who you are. So you might, you may, you're developing differently apart from society. And so <clears throat> there's no, uh, there's the stereotype of homeschooling, right? Is awkwardness. <laughs> Probably because kids are just being themselves, not thinking about how to be cool or not. <laughs> exactly. No, you're you're 100 percent right. They don't care who's the uh, most popular because you they, are the most popular. You you're are the most popular. Yeah, you get to you're in a attention. school of three people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's. Did you play any sports growing up? Um. No, I wish I, I played soccer for like two weeks, and then I ran so much that um. I got a shin splint, shin splints, and it, um, it cracked my, my shin, um, my tibia up the bone Mm. and had to, I had to wear a boot for like three months. Um, I did ultimate Frisbee, but just like pickup games. I really, I loved ultimate Frisbee. I did play ultimate Frisbee on a team in college. Which is, I guess shows how nerdy I am because ultimate Frisbee, but (laughs) I do love it. (laughs) No, that's great. That's, that's a great team sport. Great exercise. Great camaraderie. Yeah. The the games are actually pretty intense when you watch guys play ultimate frisbee and like professional professional ultimate frisbee. They're insane. Their hops are insane. They jump so high and catch the frisbee flying so fast. It's really impressive. Um, no, I mostly did uh ult- uh sorry, musical theater. My mom put me into musical. She had me try a lot of things, like I tried soccer. 
um, when I was really young, I tried soccer at a very young age for like two seconds. Um, and then, uh, ice skating, um, goodness, I guess, uh, I guess that was kind of it. I guess she didn't have me try much more. I guess art, she had me take art, art classes, yeah. um, writing classes, music classes, and then at the age of like 10 years old, I did musical theater and she forced me to do it. And then I was kind of hooked after that. So when did you know that you wanted to go into medicine? So it's actually kind of a crazy story. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if I've like sat down and told you this story. I'm sure you've heard it from some people. Well, I mean, I'm sitting you know down the story right now. For sure. I'm, you, I'm seated. You are. You are seated and ready. Um, yeah. When I was a, uh, it's a long story, but I won't. I won't make it too long. Um, oh, make it as long as you want. That, that's okay. that is why we're here. We are here to talk about your story. Are so, you, by any chance, yeah. a, a two, a wing two on the enneagram? Are you now? I am an eight wing nine. Well, I'm a wing seven wing. I mean, I'm both, but I probably lean towards nine more. But you're a two wing three. Yeah, two. It's funny because two. Or you're a three wing two. No, you're two two wing three. three, But but yeah, don't like to talk about themselves. That's why I asked. But anyway, sorry, sorry. Continue um, the story into medicine. In health, I go towards a two. So, hey, I'm I'm actually I'm being healthy right now. No, (laughs) Um, yeah. So when I was. Actually, I was 17 years old. I was three days from my 18th birthday. And I, well, let's start before I got sick. I was sitting outside of a quick trip celebrating my 18th birthday. And and I was with a friend. And if you live in Kansas City, you know that quick trip throws away 24-year-old donuts. 20, sorry, 24-hour-old <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a 24, it's, it's well-aged, well-aged. <laughs> oh my goodness. A 24 hour old donut. Um, They throw out all their donuts and we were sitting there and like fate had it. There walks the donut man out of the doors towards the trash can. And my friend and I looked at each other and we we're like, we have to, we have to go steal these donuts from their trash bin. So um, we, we go to the trash bin and some people are like, oh, so you went like digging through their trash. It wasn't nearly as bad as that, though. Everyone would like to imagine that, uh, it was just sitting right on top, just right on top of the mile, my, the mound of trash. So, uh, we opened up, it was like double bagged, opened that up, grabbed some donuts out of it. And then, um, we ate those. And then three days later, I felt like super ill, like super, super sick. Um, yeah, some people think it was the, uh, dumpster donuts, dumpster <laughs> donuts. Three days later, you know, that's, yeah, that, that might be enough time to brew. It might be enough. Um, what's funny is the doctors didn't think so actually, but anyway, so I got super sick. My parents left town and they were really concerned how sick I was. Cause I was just a healthy, you know, 18 year old kid. And they sent my sister over to check on me and she's like, oh, she's fine. Like she's sick, but you know, she's doing fine. Um, 
I, uh, anyway, that week it got worse and I went to the emergency room like twice. I went to the doctor once and they just kept sending me away saying like, I had salmonella or shigella, or I was just on the downhill side of like the stomach bug or something. Um, did I won't you have go into bloody yeah, diarrhea. Ahead. Did you have bloody diarrhea? I did have bloody diarrhea, but okay. they did not believe me. The nurse was like, hey, poop in this tube. And I was like, okay, um, I'm bleeding. And she was like, oh, you're on your period. I said, no, I'm not on my period. I'm having bloody stools. And she's like, okay, well, don't get any blood in the stool sample. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) did you did you hear me? I said, I'm not on my period. that bloody stools <laughs> that is so funny it goes back to at the very beginning of the podcast when you are instructed to drink water in between your sips of coffee <laughs> do not get any blood from your bloody diarrhea into this in- tube. <laughs> into this tube uh yeah i don't know what was going on with that nurse um and uh anyway a few days later they sent me home and i mean i was on the toilet like i i have this vivid memory of being on the toilet praying to god saying please don't let me die and then just going oh camille you're being so dramatic you're being so dramatic that's so dumb like you're young you're just having a little bit some some bowel issues (laughs) but i was vomiting nauseated bowel issues, feeling just terrible, terrible fatigue, um, night sweats, you know, uh, fevers, all the things. So um, a few days later, my dad and I were watching Avatar and he had just had a heart cath done. So he was not supposed to move. Right. Because if you pop that, um, the little what's it called? The paraclose. The permaclose. Permaclose. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a while. I haven't uh, done my cath rotation, so I don't actually know if that's the name or not, but I, I I think that's the name. It's just like the little star that closes up, you know, the hole in the yeah. um the femoral where the femoral cath goes. So um they uh anyway, he uh he was on the couch. He was really not supposed to move for like the next 24 hours, and I'm on the couch and our home line rings, which at this time we had, I mean, we had cell phones. So we had a landline and it was ringing. Usually it means it's a sales call. And I kept telling my dad, like, don't answer it. It's a sales call. It's so stupid. Don't answer it. Don't get up off the couch and like risk hurting yourself. But he gets up off the couch and he answers it. And it's the doctor. And he said, hey, your results came in. It's very serious. You need to drive your daughter to the hospital right now. I've already gotten a panel of six doctors together to discuss your case. And I've already told the ER that you're coming and to just let you in because you we need to see you immediately. Uh, so my dad, who's not supposed to be moving, let alone driving, you know, puts me into the car and <laughs> drives me to the hospital where they do immediately get me in to they move me into an ER room. The doctor comes in with my blood results. Um, They drew some bloods. Uh, They drew more blood. And uh, he was like, I don't know how you're laughing or talking or awake. You are so, so sick. And we have to get you into. um, I mean, it was like a movie. You're like, what? (laughs) Like He's like, we have to get you into emergent surgery right now, like right now. So, um, they took me in. My platelets were 36,000. So if you know, you really aren't supposed to do surgery below 50,000. So 
um, normally they would have done a hemodialysis. So my creatin was 10 and you want your creatin between like zero to 1.3. So a 10 means that your kidneys are not properly cleaning your blood. You're in acute renal failure. Medical. Yeah, I am in acute renal failure. Um, my were, platelets were, were, yeah. Were Did they call you because you were bacteremic or because of the creatinine of 10? They called me because my E. coli test came back positive for H0157 colon H7, which gotcha. is a strain of E. coli that they hadn't seen in the hospital for 40 years. And they knew how serious it was um, because babies, like if you look up Jack in the Box E. coli, um, E. coli was on something in the food and like all these babies died. Um, people died from it because it, yeah, it turns into an autoimmune disorder where your body kills that, the E. coli, but then turns on itself and it attacks your kidneys and shut your shuts your kidneys down. <clears throat> so that's why they called. And I'm sure other things didn't look good either, but it was the stool sample that came back positive. Um, and it, they just hadn't seen it in so long. They were really concerned on how to treat it. That's why they got a whole like panel of people. So it was pretty serious. Um, I did feel like I was dying. <laughs> I was on the toilet <laughs> praying. Um, so that night I like woke up at three in the morning and I just remember my mom's like soft, shaky voice. She was so terrified. She had a washcloth, a cool washcloth wiping my forehead. I just woke up like sobbing for some reason. I don't know, just my body reacting. And she goes, it's okay, Camille. It's okay. It was so sad and pathetic. It's like my mom was terrified. I wasn't going to make it. So they had put in a femoral cath on me, um, to, to um, be able to do dialysis at a very slow rate because it was very small since my platelets were so low, yet you're at a high risk for bleeding out. <clears throat> Your body can't handle that. So instead of doing a big hemodialysis catheter up in my subclavian, um, they did it lower um, on my groin. And, uh, and then a few days later, they did, they took that out and then they put one, they did a full hemody hemodialysis catheter. And I remember it was so bad. I had bruising all the way up my neck. The nurses had to hold pressure on it for 45 minutes because, again, my platelets were still, I think they were finally 50,000 at that time to be able to do that procedure. So needless to say, I did make it, obviously. And uh, and that experience made me, I mean, my team was amazing. The nurses were amazing. Um, the, I was in the ICU and I was in the cardiac ICU. So probably like it's, I mean, I was, I wasn't in nursing at the time. So it, probably a CVICU, um, type floor is probably what I was on. And so the nurses watch their patients like a hawk. I mean, they are amazing. They're on the ball and, um, any little, you know, any little spike in my vital signs, the nurse would come in and check on me to make sure everything was okay. And I was out of it a lot because I just, I don't remember a lot of it. Um, but I do remember like yeah. the uh, ICU delirium, hospital induced delirium, oh, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Did you? I didn't have, I had like a very tiny window in my room. I was, it was like a really small, tiny room. Um, so yeah, that's definitely possible. I also, what I do remember are my dialysis nurses. They, oh, 
they were just amazing. Um, they would, she was actually a flight nurse and she would fly to all the Kansas city area or one of them. There were several, but the one I remember the well, Christine, she flew to all the different, um, hospitals, um, by helicopter and would perform dialysis. She would give me Benadryl before she did the plasmapheresis dialysis combo. And it gave me such bad anxiety because it feels like a flushing red hot hot, like your face flushes really bad because of where they're putting it. And then it makes you so sleepy. It feels like you can't breathe. And she would always like, when I finally told her, I I am like having a panic, like an anxiety panic attack from this Benadryl that you give me every single time before. And she was like, okay, I'll push it really, really slow over like a long period of time and it just got so much better. But I always dreaded those times. She was so kind. I really liked her as a nurse, but like scared me half to death. Um, If you've ever taken IV Benadryl, it's kind of scary. (laughs) They ended up putting it on my allergy list because I just didn't handle it very well. Always had like panic attacks from it. Um, And I've never had panic attacks before. Like I don't have panic attacks. So that was bizarre. Uh, Anyway, so that after I got out of that, I said, I want to be a nurse. They impacted my life so much. That team was amazing and they did save my lives, um, my life. And I, uh, so I went to nursing school at Harding University and um, I graduated in 2015 and I've been a nurse now for a little over seven years. Wow. Goosebumps. Chills. What a story. That's crazy that, you know, when you're, when you say all this, being in the medical field now, it's kind of crazy that you can now interpret what was going on. And I have taken patients, you know, or care of patients that have been in acute renal failure. And to have an experience like that, I, I just cannot even imagine. When you, so you were, you were a couple of days before your 18th birthday, is that what you said? When this happened? Yeah. I got sick. Okay. So I, I actually, I think I misspoke. It was on my 18th birthday that we went and got the donuts three days later. So I had just turned 18 three so days were you, before I were felt you a, sick. Yeah. Were you a senior in high school? I was going into my senior year. Okay. Okay. And okay. I missed school for like three weeks. Yeah. Rightfully so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> may have been hard to do your social studies class while uh, while in an ICU bed. I just want to say my favorite teacher did not let me off the hook. He like when I got back, he was like, "Here's all the homework you missed." Oh, like, oh that is brutal. No, brutal. So, um, so you yeah. had okay, okay, that makes sense. So you had essentially. 10 more months to decide which school you were going to go to and which nursing school you were going to go to and how your professional degree was going to develop. So then yeah, what landed you on Harding specifically? Yeah. Um, honestly, a big pull for me was that they had an ultimate Frisbee team. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I knew that they had a, a really... Um, a really rigid nursing program. Like I, I had heard really good things about it that people, um, their, uh, their pass rate was like between 90 to a hundred percent for their nurses, um, for the NCLEX. So that was awesome. And, uh, and then you just, it was very theory heavy, which almost, okay. As a nurse looking back, 
I'm like, I feel kind of torn about that, about going to a school that's theory, that's heavy on the theory instead of heavy on the hands-on. We had almost no hands-on experience by the time we graduated nursing school. And I'm kind of like iffy on that. Like, I guess you'll get hands-on the rest of your life. So theory is good. I mean, I guess, I guess that's fine. But you feel, I mean, I felt totally lost when I graduated nursing school from like, um, I just felt like, okay, yeah, I know what heparin is, uh, but administering it, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> like, and, and you get that. I mean, but you get that hands-on experience. You get it through your orientation. So maybe Harding is still doing it correctly. Um, but yeah, that's how I chose Harding was uh, Ultimate Frisbee. And then I knew that they had a really, really good, very difficult nursing program. Is that the only school you applied to? I applied for Mid-America Nazarene University as well um, because they all, they had a really fun um, theater program too. Um, and I just enjoyed, like, I just enjoyed the people that I met there when I did their tour. Um, but that that's pretty much it. I just kind of stayed. Uh, and I did, I also chose Harding because it was near family down in Arkansas. And then um, my brother had gone to it before me and, um, my aunt and uncle had gone there. Um, and then my cousin went while I was there um, with her husband. She got married. And so it was cool. It was really cool to be like, have that family connection when you're so far away from home. The family affair. That probably brought <laughs> yeah. you some good stability too. coming from a theory rich program, because there was probably times where you were you know, really studying hard, you know, in the library. Can you think of a time that was particularly challenging for you in nursing school? Oh my goodness. I hate this question. I hated nursing school. (laughs) I mean, I regularly was like, do I want to switch to business? And it's so funny because today I am heavily, my job is heavily on the business side. Um, We can get to that in a little bit, but And I thrive in the business area for operations. So it's like, I still think I went the right route going nursing, but nursing school was hell. Um, I uh, thank goodness for my best friend, Desiree. We would just, we'd we'd be so slap happy. We would laugh over nothing (laughs) while we studied. And it got us through um, having that community. I had no I had very little social life starting in my junior to senior year for um, nursing school. And uh, I, but somehow I swung still doing a club, which social clubs are like fraternities. And, um, and I, I did that during my junior year in the middle of nursing school. And um, that, I don't know how I did that. Looking back, it's like, how did I survive? You probably Um, needed it knowing your personality, you know, yeah, probably that probably got you through, honestly, yes. having that social outlet. Alexander, looking back, I was definitely struggling with anxiety, really bad anxiety with like test anxiety. I could have used something probably for my anxiety. Like now that I, everything that I know now, it's like, I probably would have done really well on something for anxiety. Even if it was a supplement like GABA, if I had been put on something that would have really helped me. Um, and then I, I probably would have been died because of my anxiety and um, my gut health. Probably I struggled with being focused. Like, I don't think I ever sat and read an entire uh, nursing book, like not even close, maybe not even a whole chapter. I was just 
like I'm a quick learner. So I had to like do the cliff notes of everything, you know, and just learn. And I'm also a very hands-on learner. So I learn really well in a clinical setting. Um, so um, I'm not built for academic learning. Um, but now that I'm, now that I've like balanced my gut and I'm just, you know, I have all these really good, healthy habits, I read books. Like I eat books for breakfast, you know, I love reading and I, um, well, I do audiobooks. I still am not a visual. I don't want to do visual. I do better moving while I listen to an audiobook. There's something about movement and like sitting still can be difficult for me. So um, I don't even remember what you asked me. What was the question again? You're doing great. Um, <laughs> to to piggyback off of that, um, actually, I'll ask that later, but you finished in four years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. then after four years, you take you this big test called the NCLEX, right? Mm-hmm. And what does that stand for? Um, probably nurse nursing examine licensure. And oh, I've already in Clex. I really don't remember nurse. Do you do you know what it stands for? You know, I luckily have Google right here that I can pull <laughs> up and um National Council of State Boards. Oh, that that's NCSBN. National Council. No nope, licensure yep. examination. National Council licensure examination. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, you, it's been you, seven years. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not have <laughs> remembered that. Uh, what? So, so you take the test and that's, was that shortly after graduating from nursing school or is that in nursing school? Yeah. I took it um, a month after I graduated nursing school. I graduated in May and then I took it in June. And I already had a job. You usually already secure a job before you graduate. Um, Which is wild, sh- right? That's wild that you yeah. you have a job pending this test. So that, that puts even more stress on the test. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a friend, um, a friend who got, um, so 75 is the minimum amount of questions you can receive and pass or fail. Like you can't get 60, you have to get 75. And if 75 is enough information for them to determine if you pass or fail, the the test shuts off. It's called a smart test. And you can get upwards of like, if I remember correctly, maybe like 300 something questions, 360 questions. It can be a long testing period. Um, I got like between 90 and 100, something like that, which is like in the middle. That's not amazing. But I had a friend who got 75. And I said to my friend, I said, listen, you would have to be stupid to get 75 and fail. You're fine. You got 75 and passed. And then he failed. And he had oh, to no. Take it. <laughs> oh, no. I guess I'm stupid, Camille. Like, oh no, you're not stupid. Well, maybe I don't know. No. <laughs> that's a time. That's a time when your words you just eat those words, and you're like, oh, yeah. whoops! <laughs> I hope we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. We're not friends to this. No, actually, he moved away to Arkansas. <clears throat> anyway, um, so so yeah, it's a it's a, a a smart test, and yeah, it was pretty. I'm glad that it's over with. And then you just keep up. You don't have to take that test again, as long as you keep up with your license. Um, and if you let it expire, there's probably, you probably do have to retest in some way. 
do you get unlimited times to take it? Or is there an emer- a certain amount? And t- like if you fail it three times, then you have to redo a year of nursing school. I think there is a limited number. I think there is a limited number, but I've never heard of someone not passing that. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, never. All of my friends, we had a, um, I think we, I think our class had a hundred percent pass rate. I don't think anyone did not. um, I don't think anyone failed that I can remember. So that's awesome. We had some smarties in our class for sure. Nice. Did uh, okay. So you got your first job, and was where was that at? My first job was at St. Luke's North, and it's actually cool because I was birthed there. So full circle. My mom, full circle. Yeah, first job as a nurse, and I worked there for three years. Um, and it was just a telemetry unit that also had a small general ICU connected to it. Um, and yeah, is that like a step down, like progressive care, step down unit or something like that? I don't think we have, sure. You could call it that you could call it a PCU, I guess, but we're just not, it was not a big enough hospital (laughs) to have anything so acute. They needed to step down to. It was, it was a floor (laughs) unit with telly is what it sounds like. It was definitely not med surge. We definitely had more acute patients, a higher acuity than med surge. I I did not like floating to the med surge unit. They were the worst. I do not like med surge. What is, I don't, I'm not familiar with med surge. What is, what is that? Medical surgical. It's like anyone who doesn't fall under cardiac or a high acuity gets put into med surge. And then like, if you're going to have a surgery, that's not cardiac related, you'll be put on onto med surge, orthopedic, things like that. It's, it is in my opinion, the lowest tier acuity. of nursing. Yeah. Lowest acuity. Everyone wants pain meds on that floor um, or everyone's there for very, very basic needs. Um, we get respiratory stuff on tele as well. So if they come in for something like bronch, like a bronchitis or a flu or stuff, you'll get sent probably to a tele floor. <clears throat> you probably have a pretty valuable experience coming from a heavy theory school, nursing school, and then going straight into your first job. You mentioned that you're really good with hands-on. How was the transition from school to job for you? Talk me through kind of the emotions that were going on through your head and the difficulties. What what was easier? What was harder? Yeah. Um, I would say I had really good preceptors who were really, really kind and patient with me. Um, So that was really helpful to have a good preceptor. I definitely felt nervous at first because it was like, I I kind of felt like I hadn't learned anything, but then you get your bearings and you learn about your floor and medications. You're going to see the same medications given over and over when you're in a like a telemetry unit, you're going to see metoprolol a lot, atorvastatin, um, you know, heparin, Lovenox. You're going to see the same medications over and over and over and over. And you're going to learn them like the back of your hand really quickly because pretty much everyone's going to be on those medications. And then you just kind of like your repertoire of medications, um, you know, they open up um, and you see you see more random medications. And then, you know, you kind of get that it, you get exposed to that more regularly and, um, over time. So 
And then it's kind of the same routine on every unit. I've done travel nursing um, in the last seven years. And it really is like the thing that changes the most is where are your resources? All the patients are the same for the most part. All the medications are the same for the most part. Um, It's just like that's what always would make me nervous when I went to a new hospital or to a new floor was crap, where, where is the Ambu, where are the Ambu bags? Where, where's Where's the the crash cart? Where's the crash cart? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Where's the crash cart? So, um, yeah. So I quickly, I felt like by the end of, cause they gave me like, um, six to eight weeks, I think for orientation. And by the sixth, I mean, by the fourth week, I was, I like told my preceptor, like you are hovering. I need you to sit at the nurse's station and let me do this. And if I have a question, I'm not going to do anything stupid. I'll come and I'll come and talk to you and like, you know, kind of let me do my thing and and learn. So, yeah, that was good. And I think all nurses have a very similar story. Like they're always really nervous when they first get out there. And the ones who are confident, I'm just like, bravo, that's amazing. You did it correctly. Whatever your nursing school did, that's amazing. And I wish I mean, I did when I left nursing school, part of me was like, maybe I'll go back. Maybe I'll go back to make it a better, more happier, more positive environment. One that's not about stress or trying to trick you on the tests, um, but one that's like going to actually prepare you for the real world. Um, I don't think that schools, college prepares you for the real world. It just gives you that textbook answer. And then when you get out there, you're just floundering. I mean, you're like, man, no one taught me how to give a subcutaneous (laughs) shot. Okay. I actually, that was one thing I did know, but it still like made me nervous. (laughs) It's really good that you bring that up because that's one of my personal passions. I think medicine, the career in medicine, you're constantly faced with new beginnings. You finish school. Now you start your job. You do your job for a little bit and you want to specialize. That's a new beginning. You start specialization and then you move to out of the hospital because you want to do outpatient. That's a new beginning. There's not many jobs like that where you're constantly having new beginnings. And every time you're faced with a new beginning, there's a certain level of stress that happens with that new beginning. And allowing people to talk about their experience and really making those transitions as transparent as possible and not adding to the level of stress is something that I think as providers, we all should strive for. Because I recently was at a different institution doing doing a rotation and didn't know, didn't really know anyone there. And I, I think of myself as a, you know, average to maybe I would say I my book smarts of a resident's probably average, hands-on is probably a little bit better. And it, obviously in certain, you know, specialties, I'm I'm more passionate, my knowledge is stronger because I've done more reading in those in those versus others. But when you get thrown into a new environment, there's almost a a barrier uh, to retrieve that knowledge because you're meet you're met with all these different new social settings that you have to deal with, and that is 
if you think of your brain as as a computer or as uh, that is taking your CPU space up. So you can't process fully. So I always thought that, you know, whenever I'm in the hospital and whenever I'm working with a team, it's so important, so important to initially establish expectations and understand that, especially in academic medicine, this is a learning environment for everyone. I don't expect everyone to know everything. Um, this is a time to learn. This is a time to practice with supervision. And it's it sometimes goes really well, you know, that way. And sometimes uh, it, it's, you know, you'll get on a rotation where it's so stressful that you, you, the common things that you normally would do and you do know are, are tough, are tough to do, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think that I, I can see it more in just from the anecdotes I've heard from <clears throat> residents. Um, I think that the environment that they create is not really one that's conducive for learning. And there's a lot of um, condescension and egos in your area. And we experience it. Um, I guess it's not just anecdotes, but we experience it from the nursing side too, because we run into residents. And when I worked on um, a medical ICU floor down in Louisiana, I always try to take really good care of my residents because I know how stressful it is for them. I mean, I was just talking to my brother-in-law. He said, he's like, they have um, a law that says you can't force a resident to work more than I think 75 hours. Is, it, is that 80, right? It's 80 it's, hours. Here's the, the, there's nuance to it, but you cannot work more than 80 hours a week within a four week period. So you could work 80 hours a week for three weeks, but if you worked 75 for that fourth week or even 70 hours, you're not violating the law. Got it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He did not explain it in that way. That is horrible. <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, so I know that they are running on just very little sleep and they also have pressure. They have pressure from the top where it's their instructors and the doctors around them saying, Hey, be better and be smarter and be more competent. And then they have all these ICU nurses who have a lot of experience, hands-on experience that they know, they actually know what the protocol is, right? And that you guys are still learning the pro because we just see the same thing over and over and over. And we we can we can already guess what you're probably going to order for us if we're a good ICU nurse. And so if you order something that's not right, you can sometimes get a lot of flack from a nurse who's had 20 years of experience or even 10 years of experience if they're mean. <laughs> and so I was always I always try to be really nice to my residents because um uh, because I just know that they have a lot of pressure. And and, and then sometimes, you know, nurses end up saying, oh, they'll they'll even smear your name and they'll say, oh, I don't like that resonant. And then they tell the floor and then that circulates and that's not good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All these back backdoor stories, Camille, that you're telling me. I probably have people telling me about that all the time, but they're like, oh my gosh, this yeah. guy, well, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> I, I always, I leaned heavily into the nursing staff uh, during my ICU rotations. I, you know, 
if um, before I knew how to manage like septic shock or cardiogenic shock, I would, you know, you're thrown into the situation and you have someone like you were saying that has 20 years of ICU nursing experience. I always would just say, you know, what do you think you do? What do you think we should do here? You know, and then you take that feedback and you read a little bit more and then you develop the protocol mindset and, and, and you don't get as nervous, you know, when someone's crashing, you're like, okay, sweet. Let's get some fluids on board. Okay. Fluids didn't work. Start some levofed. Levofed's maxed out. Let's get some vasopressin. You know, you, you have that systematic approach that if you see 10 to 20 of the same disease process, then it's, it's easier to, to treat it. You have more confidence essentially. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think if it's appropriate in the right time, asking your nursing staff, especially if you know that they know what they're talking about, you know, just kind of like, Hey, and we have eyes on the patients. (laughs) I mean, especially if we work three shifts, we have 36 hours with the patients that we see. So, um, I've worked with a lot of great doctors, but I've also worked with a lot of doctors who just think they are just so awesome. (laughs) They think they're all that. And uh, they're going to make some big mistakes because they're not listening to the people who actually spend the most time with the patients. You know, Um, at the hospital I work at now, just part time, the doctors don't even round. We take the doctor around on a bot. What? There is not a hospitalist in the building and each patient is seen by the doctor on a robot. I am the only nurse there, actually. It is a five bed unit, actually an eight bed unit, but they max us out at five. And I mean, I am I make the food like I am cafeteria. I'm administrative staff. I am a respiratory therapist. I am the cleaning staff. And uh, and then I'm the doctor, too, because I roll that dang bot around. (laughs) It is something I have never I I didn't know. I mean, I guess I should have assumed I would see it because of like meta and everything. But I mean, it's bizarre. And so it's so funny because the bot can like zoom in, zoom out, and it can like move. And it's kind of like, like, (laughs) and, uh, and so I'll always roll it to the patient. And then if there's a second person in the room, you know, the spouse is in the room and they're sitting across the way in a chair and they'll chime in. And then the bot's like, like scoots over and it's like, oh, I didn't see that you were in the room. It's so awkward. It's like, oh my gosh. So, (laughs) oh, welcome to the future. There's even a stethoscope on it. And I, the doctor wow. listens through the bot and I hold the stethoscope up and do all the respiration sounds and then um, the cardiac sounds and some sometimes bowel sounds if the doctor wants wants to hear the old bowel sounds. How often do they want to hear the old bowel sounds? <laughs> not, not, very often. <laughs> not very often. <laughs> They're like, yes, bowel sounds equal in all four quadrants. What's so funny is when when they do ask for the bowel sounds, I never know how long to hold the stethoscope there because I can't hear what they're hearing. So I just like kind of like hold it there for like, I'm like, this seems like a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> I move it around. To do an actual bowel exam, you're supposed to hold or abdominal exam. The first thing you're supposed to do is, is, is look at it. You're supposed to look and then <laughs> right. listen. So you look, right. then you listen. <laughs> And then you can like do palpation and, um, in that, but 
when you auscultate the abdomen, you're supposed to listen to each quadrant for like 30 seconds. But no one does that. Yeah. They, they do it for like five to 10 seconds. And yeah. They're like, okay, I hear a bell sound. Okay, we're good. I don't, I don't remember if this is the textbook version or if this was like on the job, but I was always told you listen in each quadrant till you hear a bell sound. I don't know if that's textbook or if that's like an old nurse told me that many years ago, but I usually listen to make sure I hear, just hear some, something's growling in there. <laughs> hear something. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if that's textbook or not. I'm I'm not sure. I normally listen for like two to three and then you can estimate, you know, I heard those within, you know, 20 seconds of each other, multiply that by three. And that's like what their bowel sounds per minute is. So <laughs> I've never heard someone county bowel sounds per minute. What? This is new to me. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, I bet you do that on GI floors or like, I yeah, don't know. I bet it, you well, do that. A normal bowel sound it should have like five to 30 per minute so if you if you do like you were saying if you listen for maybe 10 seconds and you hear a bowel sound that would be normal right because then got it you listen that would be six bowel sounds per minute so Mm -hmm. um but anyone that's more than that you know would be hyperactive i mean you could you could just barely put your stethoscope on and you can hear it right away (laughs) so but um, oh my goodness! Yeah, it's in, I I did not know that you worked with the uh, Doctor Robot. Doctor Robot himself, yes, nice. it is. Sometimes it's pretty funny. You would crack up at this. Sometimes I'll be at my desk working on the computer, and then the doctor, instead of calling to let us know he's ready, will just come on the screen and be like, "Hello, hello, <laughs> is anyone there?" <laughs> And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were hopping on. And it's like, he's just in this little robot <laughs> screen. That's wild. Do you, it um, is. So you worked at you worked at St. Luke's North, your first job for six or seven years or so. You did some traveling nursing in there, but then three. Yeah, three, three at St. Luke's North. Mm-hmm. And then you did some traveling nursing. And then I worked at a medical ICU floor for two years. Down in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. That's where Senor Julebois is from. And, uh, yeah. And then travel after that. And then traveled after that. But now you're doing outpatient medicine and you're really focusing on wellness care and preventative medicine. So tell mm-hmm. me, what was your mind change or what was the shift between acute care to primary care to even preventative care? Yeah. So I definitely in nursing school, I was already having a friction of values on what I believed versus what I was being teach uh, taught because um, like they would talk about blood pressure medication and they would say, you know, if the blood pressure is high, you give them a toprolol. And I like, I would raise my hand in class and be like, but what about, what about educating them on diet? And lifestyle changes and how effective exercise is for bringing your blood pressure down over time and eating healthy. Like, can we start there? And then, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in the wrong setting, right? I'm in the wrong setting. And, uh, they'd be like, shut up, Camille, basically. (laughs) And, um, and so I already felt a friction of my values in nursing school. That was partly also why it was so hard for me because I don't want to give a pill for symptoms. I want to look for the root cause of the symptom 
So in 2019, um, thank goodness for my husband, he encouraged me to pursue more natural medicine, um, um, still medicine, but just a different form looking more preventative and more into the wellness field. And I did my health coaching. I started my health coaching certification and I graduated in 2020. Um, with my health coaching certification from um, Institute of Integrative Nutrition, IIN. And then that summer, which was um, COVID, like we're in 2020 now, I, is this all right? Is this the right date? Yeah, it would be 2019 to 2020. Um, And then that summer I started a, my own business. Um, And I didn't do that for very long. I did it for like I don't know, maybe eight months or so, I had an online fitness business where I would create these workout videos. And it was a subscription that um, anyone who was subscribed to, it was called the Life Care. I would send them, um, they would have access through my app to do all these um, exercises um, each month or each week. It, It was exercises daily each week. And I loved it. I mean, it was so awesome. But in the end, I found out that I don't like marketing. I don't like having to go out and look for um, people. But what was most important about my certif- my health coaching certification was that I learned about functional medicine. Um, Chris Kresser and Dr. Robin Burzen, they are um, in the functional medicine world. And uh, Dr. Burzen is the CEO of Parsley Health, which is a very famous functional medicine clinic based in L.A. and New York. I think it originated in New York and then moved out to L.A. And it is all about root cause. It's science. It's it is a beautiful marriage of science and also um, natural uh, lifestyle supplementation, you know, lifestyle and habit changes. And so they really, and medicine, I mean, we use all of the above. So we do very specialty. um, I mean, so then, you know, I ended up uh, in 2021, I got hired on by a functional medicine doctor, um, Dr. Dyer or Dr. Bradley Dyer. And as a health coach, but my role has since then transitioned pretty heavily into other things too, though I still health coach. So what have you, what's like a day-to-day in the health coaching realm for you like? Yeah. So, um, so when I first started with him, I, um, I had been pursuing him for like almost a year saying, Hey, I want to work for you. I'm a health coach. I own my own small business. Um, but I don't want to market for myself anymore. I'd like to, you know, be underneath the umbrella of someone else who's doing the marketing and just, you know, kind of do what I love instead of having to really, you know, heavily go, you know, post myself on social media. I, I really don't like posting on social media. I don't like being on social media. It's exhausting. It, it is exhausting. I tried and a, I, uh, I did a YouTube channel once to, to try and inspire people to, um, get more active. And I did a series when I was showing people how I trained for my Ironman. And I did this eight video series where I would do it once a week or once every other week. And it takes so much time to do it. It's it's nuts. You know, I was pouring 10 to 20 hours into a video, editing it, filming it, to coming up with ideas, always 
making content, it's it's exhausting. That is so awesome that you did that, though. Do you oh, feel like fun. what were fun. the results? The results were, I think people like to watch the actual product after it's done. <laughs> I don't think they care too much <laughs> about the layout. <laughs> It's funny because I uh, the, the YouTube channel is called Tiny Cabs. We'll plug it here real quick, and yes. um, it I put a bunch of videos on. You know, leading up to the Iron Man, they didn't get very much traffic. But then I put the video where I did my 100 mile ultra in Zion, and that was the one that got way more heavy traffic and blew up. So what I learned from being in front of the camera and talking in front of the camera is I don't actually like doing that as much. I'm not very good at it. And I'm much better at listening and asking follow-up questions. Thus, Mm. this is how we spun into the podcast. Yeah, because I love people... Whenever I'm at work, I always ask, you know, sometimes you have downtime and you're typically working with two other residents, especially if you're a senior resident and you're working on a medicine team, you normally have two intern residents. So you really have a lot of time to get to know people. And I loved asking people, you know, how'd you get here? You know, how'd you end up in medicine? How'd you end up in uh, Columbia, Missouri? You know, what's your story? And it was so cool that... uh, I I thought everyone did that. You know, I thought everyone, you know, got to know everyone and really got to say, man, that's a reflect on that story. That's a crazy story, man. You were you went through some really tough times and developed some resilience. And I was talking with uh Jordan, who is the co-host, and he's like, dude, you you like really know people here. And I was like, oh, do you not do that? Like, does not do people not talk about themselves or ask other people where they came from? And he's like, no, they just do their work. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was like, huh? Okay, well, maybe I should start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you are such a good conversationalist. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you go deep very quickly, and you ask the, you know. The light questions, but also the heavy questions. Um, so yeah, this is perfect for you. The heavy hitters. The heavy hitters. Well, yes. when we have guests <laughs> as good as you, Camille, je le bois, it makes it easy. So <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, okay. So so you um so you're in functional medicine, Dr. Dyer, you said Dyer. Bradley Dyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He uh, he's in North Kansas City, right? Yeah, North you Kansas guys are City. This next door to the uh, Hawaiian Bros. We're in the building of Hawaiian Bros. Oh my goodness! In in that the is... building. In fact, oh, go ahead. You go for it. <laughs> in fact, we have a deal with Hawaiian Bros because they give us such a headache with our um, parking lot where we all park. We have an ongoing deal that they provide us one meal for all office members a month. Whatever we want from Hawaiian Brothers. Wow. Thank you. I, I feel like I'm on a Hawaiian Bros ad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaiian Bros. I'm going to be you. honest. I do not think we take advantage of this very often. We are a functional medicine clinic. So we're not. I mean, it is probably healthier fast food, but it's still not particularly super yeah, healthy. Yeah, you're like, yes, I would like a number one 
A small water, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what kind of, what kind of things, what kind of uh, programs do you guys do? And, and what's, what's your, you know, what's your view and what are your aspirations in, in this field that you've discovered? The functional medicine field. Yes. So uh, I got hired on to build a program called Pathways, Pathways to Wellness. It is a get your feet wet foundational habits, um, teaches you how to live a healthy life and how to build those habits. Uh, And so that's really what kind of caught Brad. I said, I kept showing up to all these, like I showed up to his outdoor hikes and I showed up to these uh, documentary movie watching parties. And finally, what did it was um, Jacob was like, hey, do you struggle with like organization? And Brad's like, yeah, I really struggle with organization. He's like, well, I don't know if you have a need for this, but like Camille is really, really good with organization. And, and I was like, yeah, also I'd build you, I'd build you a program if you want to like, think about just building this like eight week online program that can be scaled, like just over and over again. And, uh, and he was like, okay, yeah, let's do a meeting next week. So, uh, he hired me on, um, originally as a health coach, I built pathways to wellness. We run that program um, three to four times a year. It is a remote uh, virtual class and we do Zoom calls. And so that's where all my health coaching knowledge and experience comes in is um, I run classes and I teach on habits, um, sleep habits, meditation, gratitude journal, exercise, hydration, um, supplementation, things like that. I mean, not on supplements, but just the importance of supplementation. Then we have a nutritionist and she teaches classes as well. Whole foods, how to read labels, kitchen purging, um, meal prepping, um, all these things. And uh, so that's one program. Then we have another program called Empowerment Over Diabetes. And this is probably where the heart and soul of our business is. Um, you know, Dr. Dyer is all about metabolic health because it's like it costs hospitals like $600,000 a year for a patient who's diabetic and um, type two. And we're talking about type two diabetes. It's is that just really one, just one patient, just one patient. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. $600,000 mm-hmm. for one patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think With medication almost... hospitalizations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty it is crazy. And so and what is very curable and not talked about in the medical conventional field of just like just seriously, just a few simple habit changes, diet and exercise can go a long ways with uh, type two diabetes. But we do all sorts of um, supplementation for them as well. And then other tools like intermittent fasting, um, empowerment over diabetes. It's it's really fun. It's a three month course. So 12 weeks, you get Zoom calls, um, a welcome kit, um, all this content. And then I revamped that program as well. I rewrote some of the content, reorganized it. Um, and yeah, and we're actually running that program January 1st. So if anyone's interested in joining, reach out, happening. hit me up. It's happening. This <laughs> it pod, is happening. This, I think this episode will probably release <laughs> oh, no. sometime in February, <laughs> no. but when, when's the next Actually, it won't be too late. January 10th is when it launches. So reach out if you hear this podcast and you're interested in reversing your type two diabetes there we go. or at least decreasing your medication. If you're on medication, then reach out. Also, we do a scholarship um, 
And we run that that one three to four times a year as well. So it's not, yeah, you have not missed your chance if you are interested in in doing the program. And you can do it pretty much from any state. So um, yeah, reach out. We'd well, love we'll to. We'll definitely eight, leave. Eight, Go ahead. 816-226-5050. Extension two. Extension two. We'll leave that down in the, uh, in the show notes and also um, a link to the website too. And um, that it's really important to engage in a community and to build momentum with your health outside of the doctor's office. Going to see the doctor will, you know, that'll, that'll give you a certain set of calmness, a certain set of health standard, but really the work. And I love that you guys are doing this. The work happens outside of the office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can be. You can be on medications, you know, that having a doctor is like having, um, having a lighthouse, uh, when you're at sea in a storm, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be a, a beacon, you know, to say, Hey, watch out. There's danger over here. There's danger here. But if you, if you take that same scenario and you have a hole in your boat, it doesn't matter if there's a lighthouse around, you know, that boat is sinking. So really taking health into your own hands and really taking accountability and building on momentum is the most important thing for, for your health. It, it can't be on, on the, it can't rest on the shoulders of, of someone else. Yes, definitely. And Part of why we do these group programs instead of these one-on-ones to help people with their type 2 diabetes is because of the environment, like you're talking about, creating that community of people, of like-minded people who are trying to better themselves, trying to stick to the diet, trying to create a new baseline. Um, and there, it is so encouraging to be on those calls when someone's like, the weight is not falling off or, you know what? I wanted to give in today to my cravings. And I mean, we talk about food addiction. We have like a whole session dedicated to food addiction in this program. And uh, and then another person chimes in and goes, I struggled today too. <laughs> and um, I understand where you're coming from and you can do it. Like it gives me goosebumps when other patients encourage each other and say like, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. You can keep going. And so that is the beauty of accountability in this program is everyone being in that same place. And, you know, in the hospital, you're all separated into different rooms and, and this, it's an acute care setting. If you go into a clinic, it's still like, you don't see any other patients. It's just you in the doc. And, um, it's a totally different, it is, I believe it is the future of healthcare, what functional medicine is providing. I think that we'll always have the hospital system because it is a money maker, but I believe that people who begin searching for the truth to their health and trying to figure out why am I so sick? Like, did you see the numbers, um, after COVID of, um, cardiac deaths, mortality and, uh, cancer? Did you see how much they rose? I I did not. No. Tell me yeah. tell me about them. I mean, I saw I saw uh individual case, you know, yeah. I saw how heavy the hospital was hit. Oh, with yeah. COVID. Pre pre-COVID, it was still a lot. It was 630,000 died every year from cardiac disease. Um and then um 
And we cardiac disease falls very much underneath metabolic health, right? Even though it's called cardiac disease, but well, there's it's there's all, even a, it's cardiometabolic. It's all cardiometabolic. Yes, exactly. It, they all affect each other. And uh, so it was 630. Now it's 696,000 people die every year from cardiac disease. And some of that is not preventable. Some of it is genetic. You know, you're born with it. That's true. But a lot of it is preventable. Like a lot of it is diet and lifestyle. And then cancer rose 100,000. 100,000 for cancer. Jeez. So. Yeah, the numbers are crazy. It's it's going to be really important for people to go ahead and like become become responsible for their own health instead of heavily relying on their doctor and saying, "Hey, you know, look, I have type two type two diabetes, and I just I don't know how I got to this point, and my doctor just tells me to take insulin." End of discussion or metformin or whatever it is, you know. So, um, yeah, and our patients take full responsibility. That's partly why they come to us because they're searching for a different answer because they don't want to live in sickness anymore. They want to live in health. So, it's inspiring. Very cool. Very cool stuff. What you're doing in North Kansas City. I have one more question before we we end this session here. That has been so fruitful and so so fun to talk with you, Camille. Learning from your past experience, from where you were starting out in uh, in the Quick Trip Donuts, the <laughs> oh hospital, gosh. to getting experience, you know, going to Harding, doing uh, doing this the St. Luke's nursing, going to the ICU, and then travel nursing, now into functional medicine, to where you are now. What what advice would you give someone? who is looking to get into medicine or who is currently in medicine that they could take away from? Yeah. If you're looking to get into medicine, I would say shadow, 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 shadow. There are so many different jobs, so many different positions. Um, I think I mean, I, I talked, I spoke with the doctor and I hope this is not going to hurt your feelings, Alexander, but, um, you know, he's in a insurmountable amount of debt. And he was like, if I went back to school, I'd probably do CRNA. I'd probably become a registered nurse and then become an anesthesiologist. Like No feelings uh, are here. Yeah, it's a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> it's a smart move. <laughs> and so really like, just look at what you want to do, um, you know, and there are a obviously a lot of doctors who love their job. Like, I think you guys have it really good, especially those doctors who are, who are on the bots. They work from home. They work from home in their home office and they see patients through a bot. So that's a pretty amazing job and they deserve that. They worked hard for that. Um, and they seem, they seem really, I really like the doctors we work with. They seem really happy and like they love their life. So, um, yeah, shadow, if you want to get into the medical field, but you're not sure exactly where to go. I mean, shadow, if you want to become a nurse, shadow, all kinds of different units. Um, I just recently had a girl come to me and say, I'm in nursing school, but I just have no idea what I want to do. I'm like, if I could have gone back in time, I would have shadowed a lot more. Also, if you want a job and it's very competitive, my friend did this very smart. She shadowed for multiple days in a row and got to know the manager. And then the manager hired her because, and it was like a level one trauma center. It's an ER. And so it was more competitive. Um, And, but she got the job. She got the job before she even graduated nursing school. That's beautiful. That is, 
before I let you answer the next question, that that is there. I cannot stress positioning enough. It is so important. I um, I want to share a personal story here. Massively important to your friend for for shadowing and, and getting in contact with the manager because at the end of the day, those are the people that have the pull. I during medical school, I went to Kansas City University. It's the osteopathic school in Kansas City. They had a program where you could get an MBA and a DO degree at the in four years. And I didn't really know what the MBA would would do for me. And, you know, I was kind of interested in in business at the time. I've since then developed a more interest in it as uh, moving forward. But, you know, I could see myself being a chief medical officer and and um, transitioning later in my career into, into that position. So I said, you know, why not? Let's 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 go for it. And it's not what I learned in the classroom as much as uh, the, the value in the MBA program. It's actually what I learned outside of the classroom. I got a really cool opportunity to go to Northern Colorado. Uh, Haley was at Colorado State. I was in my fourth year of medical school. And during that time, you would do one month rotations at different hospitals. And I, through crazy circumstance, this is the craziest circumstance. So Haley's mom works with, oh my goodness, I'm going to mess this up. I'm, I apologize already. She works <laughs> with the CEO's of Northern Colorado sister-in-law. I think that's it. I think that's the connection. It's a crazy connection, <laughs> yeah. but they reached out and he is just an amazing human being. He's like, yeah, yeah, come on. You can shout at me. No problem. And, you know, I, I, I was just going there so I could hang out with Haley. I didn't really expect to, you know, I would, it was another rotation. I was like, okay, cool. Monday to Friday, um, I'll, I'll hang out with, you know, this person don't really know much about him. Yeah, whatever we'll, we'll roll, but at least in the evening, I'll be able to hang out with Haley. We'll have weekends together. We're not going to do long distance. It's, this is going to be great. But what I learned there was it's so important to position yourself and to really effectively get a movement or a change done or to get where you want to go. You have to know people. And you have to know people that are in the position. And where I realized that was I, I was this fourth year medical student and um, there was a convention down in Denver and I was sitting next to, you know, I was at a, ta I was at, at a table of CEOs, you know, all these high, high power people. And I'm just a, you know, a medical student, you know, no, like bottom of the bottom totem pole, right? <laughs> so you know, at these, at these conventions, people, people do all this small talk, you know, they're like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? You know, what, uh, what do you like to do? And then it's this small talk for five minutes. And then they start digging into how you're connected so that they can leverage and figure out how they can either add value to you or you can add value to them. Cause it's a CEO of all these hospitals. So as soon as I said, oh, yeah, I'm following around, um, you know, the CEO for a month, you know, the five, the five minutes then started and the five minutes of kind of, um, you know, small talk then started to turn into like, 
the game, then they'd be like, oh, you're shadowing who? Interesting. Well, here's my business card. You know, if you need anything, Alex, if you need anything in the future, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. And I was like, interesting. This is how the world works. Yeah. This is how the world works. You have to know someone who knows someone who can position you in front of Mm -hmm. the manager or the hiring um, person. And that is essentially how you get a job. It's, it was, it was really a really, really valuable experience for me. And, and it's crazy that all I thought I was going to do was, you know, go hang out and then, uh, during the day and then, and then be with Haley. So. 100%. Yeah. Jacob always says, he's like, it's not what you've done. It's who, you know, like, cause he's in the business world. Right. So it really is. It's all about networking, networking and yeah, he, it is crazy because the Louisiana business um, like world is all very interconnected. So it's also really important to keep your ties with people because if, if you don't do something well, that is going to get around into that business world. Um, so yeah, networking, that's, that's a good one too. I mean, that's basically what it is, right? Is you are building connections and trying to meet the people who have their their hand on the button who who can who can uh, pull the right lever not the lever to the alligators but the lever <laughs> the lever down the slide i don't know emperor's new groove down the slide um, to the uh to the stuffed animal to the foam pit to the, <laughs> yes. yeah, to the foam pit that's right <laughs> um yeah i think the second question that i asked was any advice on people that are going through their nursing career right now and they either feel stuck or they feel, um, you know, you've done so many transitions too. um, And it can be scary to do that transition, you know, leave something comfortable is, Oh man. You want to touch on that and then we'll, we'll sign off. Yeah. If you, uh, if you love your nursing job, that is amazing and keep at it. Like I definitely, I have met some nurses who enjoy their nursing job, But mostly I have met a lot of disgruntled nurses who are worn and torn and have adrenal fatigue and don't like their job at all. It is a job to them and um, a means to an end. And so if you are that nurse and you are looking for something to that brings you life, you know, well, first, I would suggest, again, um, there are so many different jobs you can do in nursing. If you are if you if you've already made it through school and you are a nurse, you did not make the wrong choice. There are so many different things you can do within nursing and there's remote position. Now there's telemedicine. So if you like working from home, there's all of these positions out there now. But if you don't like the conventional field and you want to get into different types of medicine like functional medicine or naturopathic, um then I would suggest doing, you know, a uh, Googling in your city and finding a local clinic um, or finding the nearest city with a clinic. Um, I would be careful about the naturopathic doctors. I would look more for the functional medicine. They live more in the sciences. Um, some naturopathic, it's hit or miss with the naturopathic doctors. So like the doctor I work for, he is a um, an MD. He's a medical doctor 
who went into functional medicine. So he's still heavily science-based. Naturopathy can, um, sometimes you can find a little woo-woo stuff out there. So be careful, kids. Be careful. It's a crazy world. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that, but most importantly, above all things, just love, love what you do. Um, a little, little story here. I just last night, um, I was about to sign off my shift and and there was a nurse I was resourcing. So it means I float to different hospitals and help out. And I was speaking with the nurse um, who was working at that hospital, just saying, Hey, you know, I've never met you before. You know, how long have you worked here for? And he's like, Oh, well, I travel nurse mostly, but this is like a per diem job. And, and he, and he's like, you know, I don't really like nursing. I'm really doing this again, a means to an end. I want to get into investments, um, but it's very lucrative. And, but like, I don't see my family and I want to see my family more. And I realized after COVID how important it is to spend time and that life is so short. And he's like, this is my short-term plan. I'm just doing this to get a little money underneath me so I can get into something else. And, uh, and he's like, I hope I don't do this for 20 years and get stuck because the money is so good and that I can't, you know, I have a, what it's called golden, um, golden handcuffs, gold handcuffs. And, uh, because agency nursing does pay really well. Um, and, uh, I just encouraged him and said, wow, you have a dream and you should chase after that dream. You've already, you are so young. I mean, he was like maybe 25. Um, and I said, you've already learned something so valuable that it takes I mean, that I'm still learning, you know, I'm still kind of clinging on to nursing a little bit um, as a safety net when um, I really want to move my whole life over into functional medicine. And that also answers your other question. You're saying kind of what's your goal with functional medicine? Where do you want to go? I mean, I want to be all in. I want to I want to help create a whole new a parallel healthcare system to the conventional world that grows so big that people they know you either choose conventional or you choose functional. <laughs> and uh, I want to be a part of the pioneers who build that system. And that's really my goal and what I'm doing. So if you're looking to get out of nursing and you want to get into what I'm talking about, functional medicine or, um, you know, more natural medicine, then look up a clinic, try to find that. But remember, you know, I did take a pay cut when I, when I switched over, but um I'm like slowly, I like almost make what I make as a nurse now in the functional medicine world, which is huge. Actually, I, I technically, I make more. So that's amazing. <laughs> and that's huge too. It felt like I didn't have to take too much of a sacrifice in the end as I've grown in this position. So huge. I just, I encourage all of you take that leap, you know, become the health coach or become the personal trainer or go back to school, become a naturopathic doctor, become a functional medicine practitioner, whatever it is, if that is your dream, then go and do that. Um, and don't waste life. Like you do something you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Camille Jalabois, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It was an absolute delight. Thank you, Alex. I've, I've absolutely loved this. This has been so fun. So much longer than I, I thought, like in a good way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can't cut it short. There's just, there's too many, you're like an onion, too many tears, too many, too, too many layers, too many layers, yep. <laughs> too many tears, too many layers, too many tears. <laughs> hey, I want to drop this here because I want to hold myself accountable. 
I am also starting a podcast. Yes. Yes. What is it? By the time this drops, my podcast definitely will not be out. But in the future, maybe you can add the link down when oh, I've created you it. already know it will yes. be there. Yes. I am starting a podcast. Um, it's I want to interview people who have reversed their chronic illness with natural, natural means. That like would whatever. be amazing. Yeah. And, and conventional as well, but reversed, um, you know, or they're on their path to reversal and things have gotten better. So that's, I mean, cancer, endometriosis, PCOS, irritable bowel syndrome. We're going to be talking about all the Diabetes, things. Diabetes type two. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm very excited about it. It's, I've been thinking about this for like two years and I'm finally, I'm going to do it. And I'm saying it here to hold myself accountable. There we go. Well, we will tune in, Camille, to to your podcast. And I, I wish you all the best. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. This was so fun. You have a good day. You too. Thank you so much for joining us today on the More Than Medicine podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll come back for more like it. If you would like to share your journey into medicine or know someone who has an interesting story, please email us at podcastmorethanmedicine at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.